Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of The Delicious Legacy. With me, Thomas Dinas. And what better way to kickstart Season 3 other than a festive celebratory episode all about Christmas and Christmas traditions and festivities and food of uh, the 12 days of Christmas. So this is an updated episode from last year's Christmas episode. Uh, we're going to see some traditions from uh, medieval Europe, Christmas foods from medieval Europe, and we'll see also traditional Christmas in Greece and what foods the, the, the Greeks eat during the 12 days of Christmas, plus some of my own childhood memories from Greece growing up in the small town of area. What did we do for Christmas? Anyway, I hope you'll enjoy I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Christmas uh, in Greece and traditions uh, um, during um, the Christmas period in Greece. Obviously, we, when we talk about Christmas and Christmas celebrations, we need to have in mind that this is not uh, just for a day. They don't, they don't last just um, the day of Christmas, 25th of December, but we're talking about a whole period of festivities, just like as the ancients uh, had um, the Saturnalia and the Cronia, and they celebrated for a whole month. More or less, um, similar situation um, occurs uh, throughout Europe um, during the winter time. You have um, lots of different saints to celebrate. You have uh, Christmas. You have obviously the twelve days of Christmas, and you have uh, New Year's and the Epiphany. Um, sometimes these celebrations go on until um, early February, really. Um, whereupon, obviously, at least in Greece, we have the Carnival. Uh, which is a period um, that everybody dresses up and um, then um, you have the Lent for Easter. So yeah, I mean, it, it lasts really, really long. And um, throughout this um, long-lasting, um, I mean, before this long-lasting um, celebration time, there's always a Lent in Greek, at least in Greek Orthodox calendar anyway. Um, so like we did um, talk about the Easter Lent, that um, it's the most important one. But even before Christmas, uh, um, which is a big happy celebration for Christianity, there is a Lent too, there is fasting too. And traditionally, this one lasts for 40 days. My grandmother, uh, which uh, she was the daughter of a priest as well, she used to fast uh, this whole period for 40 days. I, on the other hand, never lasted that long. And um, 
Okay, for, for those of you who don't know, who are new listeners to the podcast or haven't listened to the one about Easter, the Lenten period is generally a period of abstinence uh, from meat, fish, dairy, which includes milk, butter, cheese, and eggs. So whenever I've tried to fast, usually I only managed um, a week or two. I mean, uh, who can live without cheese for that long? And uh, insert here, oh, we're so spoiled nowadays. Uh, back in my youth, we never ate this and that, and uh, we lived in uh, stale bread and water, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah, sorry, we we are spoiled nowadays. And I like cheese. What can I do? I'm not going to apologize for that. Yeah, I digress. <laughs> anyway, I always try and do something, like Lent anyway, even for that little while, a week. Not because I'm pious or religious or for diet or health reasons, to be honest, but uh, because I'm just really, really greedy when Christmas comes. I need to be eating non-stop from 24th of December until the 6th of January at least. And for that reason, I need to keep my appetite. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's why I might do some Lent before Christmas, guys. Again, I apologize profusely, but that's that. Um, the Greek festive table uh, is a cornucopia of tantalizing dishes. It's a feast. But as I said, it's not merely like this on the 25th of January. This is the norm for the 12 days over the Christmas period. The sight of a porker carcass hung upside down, head and all, never filled me with any dread or disgust. It always meant delicious charcoal roast was on its way the next day. A Christmas feast, an amazing meal for all. Our mothers and sisters would be a bit upset with the face of the animal. It was the main point of content. It felt yucky and gross. It looked too real, too gruesome. But we would never have the animal without its head. The elders used to say, a decapitated animal is very bad luck. Off it went, the whole animal, to the spit, through nose to tail eating. Before all this was a concept of fine dining in London restaurants, of course. We all have uh, certain persistent memories uh, from our festive uh, family gatherings. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. As we get older, perhaps, we tend to over-romanticize this and the years of our childhood, and we get uh, the warm and fuzzy feeling when we recall them, don't we? Well, even if it was filled with screams and shouts and big family rows, we can't help but feel nostalgic this time uh, of the year round. We even miss that um, awkward conversation that we're going to have with the conspiracy theory-loving uncle, which basically normally we would dread, but yeah, I think I would look forward <laughs> to it if I had the, the chance to go to see uh, the extended family, of course, back in Greece. So yeah, uh, what can we do? What can I do? I have these uh, memories of my Christmas and uh, I have them. <laughs> I remember them through rose-tinted glasses, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to bore you with uh, my childhood Christmas on this episode, people. In my mind... The most indelible picture of Christmas holidays from childhood was the day before 25th. Christmas Eve, 
During the daytime, of course, in my hometown of Varia, in northern Greece, we were outside in my grandmother's yard with my dad, my uncles, and the army of uh, male cousins preparing the slaughtered animals for the following day's feast. Now, the words uh, Greece and outdoors might mislead you, dear uh, listener, thinking that this was a pleasant activity and fun pastime in the Greek sunshine. I can assure you, at the end of December, in mainland Greece, in the north, the winters are bitter, cold and sometimes miserable. Uh, Well, at least this was the case before the runaway catastrophic climate change we all facing, and which uh, seems to make each winter more unpredictable than the previous. This was men's time, primal and important. It felt like the time we were bonding as a family. My granddad giving instructions. My dad and his brothers, my uncles, and me and all the male cousins listening to him, all doing the important work, and us, the younger generation, the next masters, learning the secrets of barbecue and the techniques for the juiciest, most succulent hog in town, while having fun, of course, over the preparation of the animals. Most importantly, this gave us the place to bond. Cousins, friends of a similar age, those days would shape our mindset, our lust for conviviality, our desire to spend all of our free hours cooking and sharing the bounty of the fire pit with those who we love the most. We also connected with our roots, with our ancestors, with our grandfathers in the mountains and the rebels who lived wild lives in these unconquered mountaintops of Greece the previous centuries. Well, it's what we thought and pretended it was true at that time anyway. <laughs> now, on the preparation pit, we would have uh, one or two hogs, depending uh, how many family members were planning to be around, hung uh, by their back feet from the roof of a shed on makeshift hooks. Perhaps, in addition, we would have a goat kid or a lamb too, for the sake of keeping everyone's tastes satisfied and for a bit of a variety on the menu. First step uh, would be to remove the precious innards, carefully keeping them for the infamous awful kebabs cocorecci. Then we would proceed by singeing the skin with a very DIY contraption made with cotton wrapped around a handheld mini skewer, not so mini, a long metal skewer basically, doused in alcohol and then set alight to remove any hairs. And lastly, on this first part was the washing of the carcass with a hose. These were carefully choreographed rituals with specific steps uh, taken the same way year after every year. The spits, or souvlas, were then prepared, soaked, scrubbed, cleaned with vinegar and hot water. The animal was then put on the spit, from the back, through the inside of the belly, and out through the neck, and carefully again through the head, one could hear the gentle crack of the skull, the minimal hole on the forehead. Gruesome, I agree. Shocking, perhaps, but nevertheless, another skill we had to acquire. Precision and specific amount of power were needed. Too much and the whole head would break in two. Too little and obviously you wouldn't be able to get uh, the pointy end of the skewer uh, through. Then, carefully tied on the spit with wire and prongs, protruding the meat and keeping the back legs together. Next was the seasoning. On our uh, porky friend, we did a 
generous mixture of salt, pepper, oregano, garlic and lemon slices. And then we shoo the belly with a massive needle and thick butcher string. We would let the spit roast in this dry inside-out marinade for about 12 hours to really soak up the flavors. They were kept in a secure place, like in a ladder, in a room ambient temperature, horizontally, as when they would have been when on a barbecue. It was winter, after all, and outside, and especially in the night, the temperature could uh, drop really low. It was like a nature's fridge. I don't recall ever anything happening wrong, going wrong, basically, or questioning whether we needed to buy a walk-in fridge to store <laughs> the meat to keep it safe. One could easily imagine that we were feeling damaged and exhausted after a whole day out in the cold weather, carrying heavy barbecues from the basement, buried treasures from last year, unearthing them and revealing the stories of past revelry, washing with cold water the animals and freeze our asses off. But, for the most part, it was pleasure, joy and ecstasy. The feeling of belonging, I guess. Part game, part serious. And the transformation of the raw materials and the space itself to something worth celebrating about. All were playing an important role here. Here we were, in a small corner of the old town of Area, and we defeated the elements and adverse conditions and had fun. Those festive days, including the Christmas Day fun we had, now I feel that are all stored in one place in time, separate from the rest of the chaotic memories. Recollections from our childhood that seem to surround us and to surround our hazy heads. These are kept safe, secure, always there to comfort me, no matter how bad things can be. When I close my eyes and I'm there, in Yaya's house, no one can reach us. These elemental memories are protected from any harm. So that was um, the day before, 24th, the preparation during the day. The shenanigans of Christmas Day barbecue, I suppose they're going to be a bit familiar to most of you, I think. The drunken uh, dancing and non-stop eating is similar, I guess, to all cultures. Just the season really varies. Of course, the barbecue ritual here is a bit more important. It's not like just some quick steaks and sausages that you put on the barbecue and then you eat and you go. Although we had um, both of these as well uh, included in our um, barbecue feast. But, yeah, this was um, a different affair, you, know, you understand? It was, that was a slow affair. We started early in the morning and requiring patience and grit and deep knowledge of the charcoal, the fire and its capricious character, which needs to be controlled and adjusted even after a couple of glasses of uh, uh, raki or grappa, which, of course, were consumed um, from early in the morning as uh, we need to warm up our cockles. So yeah, you understand that we were out there uh, on average uh, in the cold, crisp winter morning and of course on the contrasting heat of the pit for about seven hours. So yeah, uh, I won't bore you. <laughs> I won't bore you too much with, with the details here. A party is a party. You know what's happening in a party. And after all, there are plenty of uh, barbecue pit master style uh, food programs for you to watch, uh, you know, if you want to know how to cook a, a whole pig on a spit. Um, let's just say that most of us, most of the time, we would fight over the tastier, first, uh, firstly cooked uh, parts of the of the spit roast. And generally that was uh, the testicles or the bit of the meat at the back of the legs where the bone started to split and the skin was very, very crunchy. So yeah, that's uh, Christmas Day for you. 
But of course, uh, Christmas doesn't end uh, here. One wouldn't persevere with the land for 40 days. Well, okay, none of us did actually, to get uh, just one day of feasting. It hardly seemed uh, a fair exchange, don't you think? No, there is more, a lot more, a lot more to come. So back to my back to my immediate family's homes. So yeah, me, my dad, my mum, brother, and our other yaya. There is a lot more wholesome cooked food waiting. Both mum and grandma can't help themselves, but cook a mountain of food as if we haven't eaten for months and as if we were waiting the whole long-lost family to appear, uh, all 50 of them, for our Christmas dinner table. And these uh, celebratory dishes are many. Pork, it's obviously the main meat, and there are countless dishes with it. And uh, the reason for this is called um, something called Uhuru no Hara, we kind of touched earlier on. It's the most popular tradition in most regions of Greece, which means pig joy, and takes place around Christmas. This is the slaughter of uh, the pig, which has been fattening uh, for over a year. Traditionally, it was always been the time of uh, happiness and uh, revelry. Not that the pig was joyous with the prospect of its sacrifice, this is certain, but uh, joy for the village folk. The felled animal will be savoured all winter long, as we've touched earlier, usually as the only source of meat. Hence, the tradition calls for pork for Christmas Day, either whole on the spit, as my family did, or cooked in various different ways. There is also something called Christopsomo, which is a festive spiced bread, made at Christmas time and traditionally eaten on Christmas Eve. It was always made with the most expensive ingredients, highly sifted white flour, sesame seeds, and spice mixtures such as aniseed, orange, bay, cinnamon and cloves. On top, other dishes that are a must and adorn every festive dinner table were there. Stuffed cabbage leaves, with veals, mints and spices, in a thick avgo lemon or sauce, pork tenderloin cooked with chestnuts and apricots, a capon or a cockerel stuffed with Swiss chard, rice and wild fennel, mountains of nut and honey syrup-soaked cookies called melomacarona, and curabiedes, which is uh, another uh, dessert, or almond shortbread biscuits, which uh, are related to numerous Middle Eastern biscuits, which are found um, further back in the past in the Ottoman and the Persian cuisine and of course countless pies, savoury meaty ones for New Year's Eve, which uh, they're eaten late, around midnight, just before we go out for an all-nighter, and sweet cake, pie-like cake, for New Year's Day's lunch, Vasilopita, which is prepared for Saint Vasilios, Aios Vasilis, our version of Santa Claus, with a coin inside for a good luck. There is um, the shepherd's meat pie, which is made... Uh, up in the mountains of all over Epirus, which is in northwest Greece. And uh, this is um, made with lamb and filo pastry. In uh, places like Thessalia, which is uh, central Greece, this is made with pork or rabbit. Uh, up in uh, where I'm from, uh, we use beef and leek. And uh, yeah, and yeah, on all of this, you can insert a coin for good luck, actually, just like Vasilopita. In the island of Lesvos is a very skilled, highly complicated filo-making pie, a traditional sweet and savory pie, which is has consecutive layers of filo, uh, which give this unique pie um, the festive character. And this is for New Year's, a cheese and spice New Year's pie from Lesvos. And uh, for this, obviously, you make the filo with uh, fennel seeds and flour and baking powder and salt and sugar and olive oil and butter. And the filling is kefalotiri cheese, mizithra cheese. You have uh, 
fresh ginger, you have ground cloves, you have ground cinnamon, freshly grated nutmeg, ground allspice, and and you garnish it. Obviously, you have um, sesame seeds to garnish it, and you yeah you bake it like this. Um, another incredible recipe here. Now it's time for a traditional Greek uh, recipe, Christmas recipe, and this is a sweet uh, that we do that every household do during Christmas, and this is the melomacarona. Basically, uh, syrup drenched nut and spice cookies, and this recipe is from Peloponnesus, and it's made with olive oil rather than uh, butter or margarine or other disgusting oils. So for this, we make the cookies. So we have a dough, and make we make a syrup, which we then after we cook the cookies, we put them into the syrup. Okay, for the syrup, you need. One cup of sugar, one cup of honey, half a cup of water, one medium cinnamon stick, and one wide strip of lemon zest. For the cookies, and this will give you 40 to 50 cookies, uh, you need three to three and a half cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of baking powder, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, half a teaspoon of ground cloves, one cup of extra virgin olive oil, half a cup of sugar, half a teaspoon of baking soda, half a cup of fresh orange juice, a quarter of a cup brandy, like metaxa, for example, that we have in Greece, and one cup of chopped walnuts, and then uh, the zest of one orange grated. There are a few different variations on how to make it, to make them, but first make the syrup. So bring the sugar, honey, and water to boil in a medium-sized saucepan. Add the cinnamon and lemon zest, and simmer over medium heat for 10 minutes. Let it cool completely. For the cookies, sift together three cups of the flour, the baking powder, cinnamon, and cloves in a small bowl and set aside. In a large bowl, beat the olive oil with the sugar until creamy. Stir in the baking soda into the citrus juice and add the oil and sugar mixture. Add the brandy, walnuts, and grated zest and continue mixing vigorously until combined. Slowly add the flour to the mixture, beating vigorously with a wooden spoon until a stiff dough forms. Preheat the oven uh, to 160 degrees Celsius. Lightly oil two large baking sheets. One at a time, break off pieces of dough the size of of a big walnut and shape into a small mounted oblongs. Place one inch apart on the baking sheet and bake until lightly browned, so about 20 minutes. Remove from the oven and submerge in the cooled syrup to soak for a few minutes. Drain them, if that's desired, on racks and then sprinkle on top some finely pounded uh, walnut, walnut crumb. And they are delicious, trust me. So, um, I use Vasilis. Um the Greek um, Santa Claus, which is not Santa Claus, but Agus Vasilis, which brings you presents, brings presents to the kids on uh, New Year's Eve. It's, um, you know, originated um, on a different level from St. Nicholas that we have uh, from uh, the rest of Europe and the Germanic Santa Claus, St. Nicholas and so on. I guess you all are more familiar with this story. The Greek one, so the Greeks generally... They never associated St. Nicholas with Christmas to such an extent uh, as the Europeans did. Uh, 
for uh, for uh, for us basically Saint Nicholas main characteristic uh, at least in Greek folk tradition and religion is that he serves as the protector of the seas and he's a patron saint of sailors he was serving as a bishop of Myra a city in um, Turkey nowadays Turkey and he was known as a participant in the seminal council of Nicaea in the year 325 AD which uh, saw the adoption of the Nicene Creed uh, in our religion it's the basis of the belief system of Christians. So basically, he's known for a much more generous act. Uh, a poor family in Mira, with many daughters, was known to have fallen on hard times. And uh, yet the situation which uh, was so dire, in fact, that the father was considering selling one of his daughters into slavery and prostitution so the family could survive. So to save her from this horrendous fate, St. Nicholas threw gold coins down the chimney of the man's house thereby saving her and rescuing the family from uh, their predicament. So if that happened or not, or things happened exactly this way, we don't know, but it was St. Nicholas who said to have committed this act of kindness, and this was the reason uh, why he is associated with chimneys and presents and so on. So one version of the story even says that uh, the gold coins landed in the girl's stocking, <laughs> which, is, uh, which she hung up uh, on the mantle to dry. Anyway, that's uh, that story. But... Um, with the Greeks, the Christian, the Christian Greeks, and um, you know Saint Vasilius, the story is a little bit different. Anyway, Saint Nicholas, his remains were in the in the basilica of the in the church of the town and was in a sarcophagus in the church. But in 1087, when the Christian Greeks of the region were subjugated by the newly arrived Muslim Turks, Muslim Seljuk Turks, then a group of uh, merchants from the Italian city of Bari removed the major bones of. Saint Nicholas skeleton from the sarcophagus, and uh, without authorization, of course, as uh, ah, we've seen the Italians and other plunderers do, and brought them to their hometown. So now they're enshrined in the Basilica di San Nicola in Bari, and and of course uh, this is the story of Saint Nicholas, but not the story of our uh, Greek Saint Vasilius, Saint Basil or Vasilius in Greek, whose feast day is on the January the first is always remembered by the Greek people as a figure who bore gifts and helped children, the poor and the underprivileged uh, around Christmas time. Saint Basil of uh, Caesarea lived uh, from 329 AD, or C, as it's better to say, to January the 1st, 379 CE, and was a near contemporary of the Saint Nicholas, who died around the year 343. Basil served the church as the bishop of uh, Caesarea in Cappadocia, in Asia Minor, he was an influential theologian who supported the Nicene Creed, as we just seen earlier. But yeah, he focused mostly, you know, in uh, community life, liturgical prayer, and manual labor, and in the monastic, in building the monastic life in Eastern Christianity. So the great saint was not just an intellectual, but lived in the in this world as well, and he became uh, known early on for his care for the poor and underprivileged and for his extremely generous nature. And the legend has it that uh, tax collectors once overtaxed the people to the extent that they were forced to hand over all the jewellery to the authorities. And Basil declared that this was unjust and forced the tax collectors to give him the jewellery so that he could return it to the people. Of course, at that point, it was impossible to determine which jewellery belonged to whom. So he came up with a novel idea to bake cakes with the jewellery placed inside them and to distribute the cake slices amongst the populace. 
each person received a piece of the cake with jewelry baked inside. And the riches were thereby distributed back to the people and on equal fashion. So this incident has never been forgotten among the Greek uh, people's psyche, who forever associate Basil with the tradition of gift-giving. So yeah, the, the modern tradition in Greece is not to give gifts on Christmas Day, but on New Year's Day. And of course, yeah, with the feast on January the 1st, there's another perfect time to um, feast and eat and um, be merry and jolly. And on Epiphany, which is on the 6th of January, if I'm not mistaken, uh, now, um, on Epiphany, which is another big celebration in Europe in general and um, in Greece too, again, uh, there is, there is um, there's again a very um, celebratory, festive uh, table. Uh, usually, again, the food on the table is uh, pork. And the last day of the three-day celebration of Epiphany, which is the day of St. John the Baptist, plenty of festive foods are eaten again too with... Um, Many pork dishes and many desserts uh, served on the family table. And I'll be back after this short break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbin Greek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier and distributor of premium Greek produce. If you're longing for Greek Christmas, why don't you get your celebratory kurabiedes and melomakarona from Malbin and Greek? Malbin Greek has uh, delicious Christmas hampers with kurabies, with melomakarona, Greek olive oils and alcohol and chocolates and other sweets to make your Christmas as Greek as possible. Whatever you need, Malbin Greek has you covered. 
You can shop online and have the divine and delicious goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK, or you can visit the shop at Art17 Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SC16, 4ET, Bermondsey, London, Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. And for you dear listeners, there's a fantastic discount of 15% if you use online the discount code DELICIOUS. Yeah, talking about um, Christmas and New Year's pies and cakes. Indeed, there are traditional cakes made and eaten almost everywhere in Western Europe between Christmas and early January. For example, in Gascony, uh, in France, in nowadays France, aniseed cakes used to be distributed after the midnight mass at Christmas. And indeed, there are traditional cakes made and eaten almost everywhere in Western Europe between Christmas and early January. They include the Twelfth Night Cake, which is in direct line of descent from the Roman cakes of Janus, after whom January is named. Janus, god of the double gate, the gate that opens and the gate that shuts, had two faces and a double mission, to look back at the past, the old year, and forward to the future, the new year. In uh, southern France, in Aix and Provence, they make calissons, which they must be made with almonds. They consist of marzipan and crystallized fruits mixed with orange flower water. All the ingredients being very Provencal and worthy of a sweet meat, which is the pride of Aix. At Christmas festivities in Aix and Provence, rich families and confectioners have them distributed by priests at Mass instead of the consecrated bread. In fact, calissons do contain what wafer substance like, like the wafers of the host in the Catholic Church. And uh, peasants going to work in the fields of the 15th century, like the great lords and ladies of Paris, uh, whose, uh, whose palates were tempted uh, by the highly sophisticated uh, foods of the royal court. The peasants knew all of the figs of Provence, dried by the sun and the mistral wind. Yeah, both of them were eating figs at this time of the year. Dried figs were also a feature of the traditional 13 desserts of Christmas. With walnuts or hazelnuts, raisins and almonds, they were one of uh, what were called um, the four orders of baking friars, so-called because the different colors of the nuts and the dried fruit suggested the colors of their habits. A treat for children was the cappuccino nougat, uh, a dried fig split open and stuffed with a green walnut. So in the Middle Ages and then medieval um, times, in Central Europe, carp is the king of the fish. And be Christmas or Easter, the festive table would be unthinkable without it. In the Middle Ages, Southern Bohemia, they had an international uh, reputation for its well-organized carp breeding. Goose was also frequently served at Christmas in Europe. The bird was often roasted or boiled and served with a sauce or condiment, or the meat would be minced and put into pies. In the Christian Middle Ages, wild boar's head was the crowning of the Christmas feasts and other festive dinners of nobility. Aside from the head and the meat, the liver, lungs, stomach and even blood of wild boar appear in the recipes of the time. How prized an animal wild boar was can be seen from the fact 
that some of the medieval recipes promised to make beef liver taste like wild boar liver. The Germanic tradition was to serve roast goose at Christmas. This is convenient as well, since the goose, which is a large bird, hatches in spring and it's in its prime at eight or nine months old. Any older, it will not be a success roasted. It then be braised or casserole. Fruit stuffings and accompaniments, popular in German cuisine, help to counteract the fatness of the flesh with their acidity and make it more digestible. In medieval Britain, and a little bit later on, manorial records and account books tells us that the diet of the peasants was not dissimilar to that of the peasants in continental Europe. Additionally, the food of manorial servants was generally more varied, with beef, herring or cod as additional sources of protein, and bread made from rye and wheat. The yeoman had bacon flitches, eggs, cheese, butter, milk, cream, onions, garlic and malt to make ale. At Christmas, the lord would receive a hen or grain for the brewing of ale from his tenants, and in return would give them a meal that included not just the stable foods of bread, cheese and pottage, but various meat dishes. Among the fruits and nuts peasants in medieval Europe often had access to were cherries, apples, pears, plums, filberts, walnuts and sweet chestnuts. Parsley and other pot herbs, small birds, rabbits, some fresh water and salt fish and cockles also found their way into many villagers' stew pot. Um, William Peter's Ingleston household uh, said William Peter uh, was a secretary of state to three successive Tudor monarchs, namely King Henry VIII, Edward VI, and Queen Mary I. Anyway, in his um, household in the 1550s, um, the culinary traditions, um, which we have them written down, so the, the culinary traditions of Christmas had not altered substantially from uh, those of the previous centuries. For most, it still meant uh, brawn, along with fresh beef, mutton, pork, goose, turkey, apples and cheese, and enormously hard work in the kitchen. Uh, the witty Renaissance English poet Nicholas Breton wrote that for the 12 days festival, capons and hens, beside turkeys, geese and ducks, besides beef and mutton, must all die for the great feast, for in 12 days a multitude of people will not be fed with a little. Now plums and spice, sugar and honey, square it among pies and broth, Youth must dance and sing, and the aged sit. And if the cook do not lack wit, he will sweetly lick his fingers. Shred pies filled with meat, dried fruits, sugar and spices were piled up beside good drink and a blazing fire. The Tudors welcomed the Lord of Misrule with open arms, reveling in magicians, fools and music, and in a special new Twelfth Night cake, one of the earliest of the English spicy fruitcakes, into which a pea or a bean was baked. Whoever found it was crowned the king or queen of the bean for the evening, presiding over the fun and games. Of course, during the Commonwealth uh, that followed, uh, there were unhappy times. <laughs> the color was lit out of life in Christmas. Puritans wore stark black uh, with square white collars and linen caps or tall hats and Christmas celebrations were banned. Pleasure was repressed, and fishy days and fasting were prescribed as popish. But uh, I think people uh, ignored them and they celebrated nevertheless. I hope so, anyway. 
fast forwarding in Victorian times, Fortnum Amation provided the finest pre-packed hampers available, and they were so successful that they began to displace the great Christmas pies of old as gifts for the family and friends. And um, the ideal Christmas family, which was projected from Victoria, from Queen Victoria to her subjects, broadly solemn and religious, but um, concentrated and crystallized not on the 12th night, as we have in most of Europe, really, uh, but on Christmas Day itself. And of course, uh, the food, it was starting to change a little bit, but still resembled bits of the past. So we still have plum puddings and mince pies, which were the leftover of a forgotten age, as I said. And um, there was still, um, these mince pies had uh, beef and minced beef, and they had uh, the best kidney puddings. uh, And of course, slowly that beef was replaced by goose as the choice of meat for the festive table. And um, yeah, the plump breasts of the goose were uh, carved for the family and the legs were sent down to the kitchen for the staff. In my hometown of Varia, when we were growing up, most people, most of my family and relatives will remember what our most uh, common and popular dish was for our Christmas table. Obviously, there's a lot of influences over the years, from uh, USA and so on, but overall the strong Greek Orthodox traditions remain intact on our Christmas table, especially on more rural backgrounds and more working class and more away from um, Athens and the capital and the influence of external factors. Let's go and check some traditional dishes. Yeah, most people from uh, the childhood um, time remember pork. Pork cooked um, either in the oven or uh, on the spit. And uh, for some people who were more um, inclined to follow the Lent, 24th uh, was uh, still a day of Lent. And uh, there was just uh, a bean soup uh, without olive oil, with uh, lots of um, olives, of course, which are allowed in in the Greek Orthodox Lent, and um, lots of um, onion with salt. Then uh, there was a fashion of um, turkey, of course, even on the Greek table, unfortunately. And yeah, um, a lot of people start to have started having turkeys. And then until the point that everybody in the family agreed that this is really boring and tasteless. So let's go back to pork. I think for most of uh, you British uh, listeners, I guess your typical family uh, Christmas was roast turkey with all the usual accompaniments. And I guess uh, people would have um, desserts as well as Christmas cake and trifle with uh, with meringue, cheeses, uh, assortment of cheeses. And uh, I guess some people would have um, some duck as well if they, fa- if they were fancy. And yeah, again, um, um, speaking with lots of um, friends uh, here in UK of all ages and uh, from all over the... <laughs> The country, uh, Scotland, and so on. Yeah, um, again, a lot of people find Turkey quite boring, a boring dish. So yeah, everybody seems to start diversifying a little bit on their Christmas table. And yeah, salmon is a good idea. Goose is another good idea that people cook um, stuffed chicken or a cockerel or something like that. And yeah, pork as well. And yeah, um, this is it more or less, um, a short description of uh, Christmas, my Christmas, ancient Christmas, traditional stuff, and um, 
an overview of um, different dishes of the festive period. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, bonus episode, our little Christmas festive um, episode, full with memories of um, childhood Christmases. I think um, that's all for me. Now you know I love you all, and I know you love me. So please, 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 if you want to give me the perfect Christmas gift, do subscribe on my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Delicious Legacy for early access to the episodes, all ad-free, of course, with exclusive videos and unique recipes from the ancient world, and, of course, other traditional stuff, all at your fingertips. You can find all of the past video recipes on YouTube where you can subscribe and get the episodes of the podcast there as well at Thomas Dinas at The Delicious Legacy. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and tell your friends and family to get a bit of The Delicious Legacy in their lives. If you have a moment, please do drop me a like and a review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps enormously to signpost new listeners to the podcast. If you want to drop me a line and get in touch with questions or ideas about future episodes or guests to the podcast, please do get in touch on Twitter or Instagram or on Patreon. Anyway, I better let you go. I've been Thomas Dinas and we just had the best Christmas feast on this episode of The Delicious Legacy. See you next time for more archaeogastronomical adventures. Merry Christmas to all. Bye! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.